American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome in again to another episode of American Hammers Radio. This is Season 2, Episode 3. I am your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, joined as always. Ladies, make sure you give your chest a rest and give it up for the one, the only, Liam Bright. How are you this evening, Liam? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, as always, for the lovely introduction. And it is a pleasure, nay, an, an honor to uh, to be alongside the one and only Tex of the Fresno Irons. Well, uh, there's a lot of people that don't carry that sentiment, but I do appreciate <laughs> I do appreciate the the doting on me. It's uh, probably the most compliments I've gotten in the last twelve years. Oh, um, well, it honors me to be the one that feeds your ego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now people are really going to hate me. Uh, yeah, there you go. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not having a good week, Liam. It's not. It's not working. <laughs> West Ham United, again, they fall to Arsenal 2-1. Incredibly infuriating match for me. Incredibly infuriating. We got a goal from Antonio, but again, with less than 10 minutes to go in the game, we fall asleep defensively, and wouldn't you know it, when West Ham make a mistake, it costs them a goal. When people yeah. make a mistake against West Ham, it's a sky shot over the bar. We hit the woodwork. Somebody doesn't run onto the ball. Dumb shit like that. But no, against West Ham, it always has to be a fucking goal. And of course, we fall down 2-1. We struggle. However, people are saying we played well, Liam. That's yep. what they're saying. They're saying, oh, the boys look good. We played well. What are your thoughts on the match against Arsenal? Well, you know, I, I would I would echo that sentiment. I I think we did play well, but it's not enough, right? You know, we we rewind it back to last season when we played Arsenal. You know, dominated the first half. We go up one nil. You know, and then what? Cresswell gets injured. They bring on Masawaku, and then all of a sudden, you know, PP skins and them alive on that left hand side, and we go down three one. So it's it's great to say like, hey, you played well. You played well in the first half. Hell, you could say that we played well for 85 minutes, but then we didn't finish the game out. We didn't close it out. So ultimately, it's, it's you know, same story, same ending. Like, nothing really changes. So it, something's got to give. We, we have too good of a squad to continue to get ourselves into these types of situations where we should be walking away with points, where we should be walking away with the win, if anything, because I thought we did look a lot better than Arsenal did. It's just, as always, they capitalized on their chances and we didn't. See, and that's, that's exactly what I'm sick of, Liam. I'm sick of saying that we played well when we need to start getting results. We need to start making things happen. I'm sick of losing games two to one and people walking away. So going, we're, uh, you know, we played well. I, I'm, look, this is not the YMCA. We're not giving away sixth place ribbons, okay? Like it's not <laughs> happening. Like I, we're not in this for moral victories. Moral victories. Let me ask you a question, Liam. This is a real question. Please tell me if I'm wrong here. But if you have enough moral victories, do they let you stay in the Premier League? Oh, not that I know of. I mean, I, unless those moral victories also coincide with wearing a Liverpool or a Manchester United jersey, in which case they will absolutely make sure you get the penalties you need to beat, I don't know, Leeds when, you, when it's a 4-3 game. Yeah, you know, that, that that's the kind of shit that works for other teams, maybe not for us. And that, that is exactly my point, Liam. We're, <laughs> we have nothing to gain out of a moral victory. And at some point, it's time to put up or shut up for West Ham United. And it, yeah. it really is for on GSB and David Moyes. It's time to put up or shut up. David Moyes, you told me you're a winner. You're a liar. GSB, yeah. you say you're going to invest and make this club a world-class team in a world-class stadium. You're a liar. You've now been called out, not only by me, you've been called out by the captain, Mr. West Ham himself, who's done it as well. So it's a situation right now where you look at West Ham United, you understand the turmoil, you understand the unrest, players don't trust each other. The manager, I, I, I think the verdict is still out for me if the players like the manager or not, but sometimes there's well-liked managers that are total idiots that the players love, but it's just not going to work. And sometimes the best coaches are the ones that everybody hates. Yeah. And so I'm I'm looking for somebody to come in to West Ham United, whether it be in the ownership group or whether it be on, on the pitch as a player or even a new manager that's going to change something and get us playing at a different level. Because the only coach that I know 
that we've that since I've been a fan that I've ever seen us been incredibly successful and consistent is Sam Allardyce. And yeah. say what you want about Allardyce, but you knew what you were going to get. You knew what it was going to be every week. It wasn't going to be pretty. People are going to be annoyed, and West Ham fans are going to boo him after winning 1-0. Yeah. So it's just a situation where would you rather have a 1-0 victory or a 2-1 loss to Arsenal? So in right. my opinion, I'm going to stack victories all day. I don't care how they come. There's nobody that get, you don't get more points for winning pretty. You don't. Yeah. You get the yeah. same amount whether you win ugly or not. And West Ham United are in this situation where – if you are a fan of West Ham United, I do not understand how you could ever be happy with winning with losing this game to Arsenal when we have spent enough money in this club and we have enough talent on the pitch to compete with them and we proved that. That's the one thing I will say, we proved it when we went out there. We 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 can run with them, we can out-physical them, we can control the ball and keep it away from them. Yeah. But what's frustrating, Liam, is I am sick and tired of saying, oh, well, they played well. If you played well, you'd win the goddamn game. Yep. I'm a Kansas City Chief fan, Liam. And for 50 years, the Kansas City Chiefs were the lovable losers of the NFL. They constantly lost in the first round of the playoffs. In fact, in the NFL, who has a playoff system, they have the longest home losing streak in the playoffs in NFL history. <laughs> okay. Now, obviously, that changed last year, but I used to tell people all the time when they would go, hey, I'm sorry your Chiefs lost, but they had a good season. And I would get mad and be like, it's not a good season because we didn't do anything. Yeah. When you lose, when you don't win the last game, you're the same as everybody else. And yep. West Ham United, I know that there's not a playoff system, so I know that saying doesn't really apply, but the point is this. West Ham have a squad that's a top eight squad in the Premier League. I don't care what anybody says. We have enough talent to be a top eight squad. We need to start playing like it. Yeah. And we don't. That game, that that dismal performance against Newcastle already puts you on the heels. Then you go out there and you play your ass off against Arsenal and things don't go your way. Let me put it this way. If we played the way we know we can play, we beat Newcastle and we get a point at the Emirates and we're sitting with four points right now in fifth place in the Premier League. Yep. That that's my point. And I am sick and tired and I'm never going to get over it. I'm never going to be okay with it. Liam of going, Oh, well it's a moral victory. Okay. They don't give moral victories. You, you don't get to stay up in the premier league with moral victories. You don't, you have to win and you have to earn points and you have to get there. And I'm sick and tired of dealing with this from West Ham United. What are, how do you feel? Liam, are you happy with the moral victory? Are you happy with everybody going, oh, well, we played well. If we play that way, we'll get points. Fuck that. I want more than points. I want recognition. Yeah. No, 100%, man, because you said it perfectly. Moral victories aren't going to keep us in the Premier League, right? And like we've, we have faced relegation battles almost every single season. I want to say what? Other than the, the last season at the Bolin, right, where we finished seventh. So yeah, I mean we we have we have seen that the team can perform. We can we've seen individual performances that have that have shined, right? And that that's not just in this Arsenal game. That has been in the the Carabao Cup as well, right? Like we have seen individual performances that have stand out. We saw it last season as well. Certain players that performed really well, but it's just not consistent. And at the end of the day, the consistency is going to be what takes you to the promised land. Like if we want to finish top 10 consistently, as we should, because you look at the teams that do now, Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace, th this last season we saw Sheffield. Like there is, you cannot tell me that these other teams are a better team than what we have. I feel, I feel like we, we're almost beating a dead horse here. Like I'm not going to look at Burnley and say that that's a better side than West Ham United. And it's it's frustrating to see these other teams, Newcastle, be able to nick points opening opening day, right, of this season, whereas we have not won our opening game for the last five. Five seasons every single time. And we, we kept saying, like, oh, well, we get Liverpool or Man City or blah, blah, blah. We got fucking Newcastle and we still couldn't get the job done. So it it, it is frustrating, right? It, it is the uh, uh, the constant letdown. And you just want to see the team perform at the level that they know that we know that they can. And ultimately, I think they know they could perform at that level as well, just for whatever reason they choose not to. Liam, I, I don't think you could have said it any better, but I mean, it, it's seriously like dating an ex-girlfriend. 
I mean, you just get <laughs> sick and tired of the same bullshit, and that's why you dump her. And I'm not saying I'm going to dump West Ham United, but I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of those feelings that I have from ex-girlfriends that I've given a second chance to in the past, I'm going through that right now. Yeah. It's almost like PTSD. I mean, it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating because we are a club that has the size and power and the support from our, at least our supporters, maybe not our owners, to actually do something and be a force in the Premier League. We're like a sleeping giant, but somebody's got to come and wake us up. And I think I have something very interesting to tell you here, Liam, because after that frustrating performance against Arsenal, where I was one of the few that didn't give a shit if we played well or not, we dropped points. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a negative result, no matter who we're playing. Right. We have an EFL Cup match against another League One side in Hull City. And I understand that, that it's Hull City. But we go out there and we dominate with a totally different lineup, a different attacking force, and we go, we score five goals. We do exactly what we should do yep. to a League One side. And Liam, we talked about it last week. I think that the best talent at West Ham United is not being utilized in the correct way because Yarmolenko, everybody shits on his pace. But what I do not understand, Liam, is if his pace is so bad, how can he create two goals and score two goals against Hull City? He's the best player on the pitch. When he came in against Arsenal, he had one phenomenal pass that he sent across to the other side as he was coming in. Everybody thinks he's a one-dimensional player. I'm telling you right now, buy in on Andy Yarmolenko. Buy in on him. Yeah. Because this guy has been playing too well and doing too many great things. To me, he has to start the next game. He has to. Because he is too good to leave on. But the problem is, I mean, I it's I don't understand how a manager cannot rate a player, then play him in a cup game, and he dominates that much, and the manager can't go, maybe I was wrong. Part right. of being human, Liam, is admitting you're wrong. But do you have any, is there any credibility here? Am I crazy? Because I think that we're playing, the team that's playing in the EFL Cup games, that should be the team playing the Premier League game. <laughs> and the Premier League team, with maybe the exception of Antonio, should be playing against the EFL Cup teams. Like, yeah. I don't I don't understand it. Well, I, I and I put this out on Twitter, right, where I said, let's be honest. Anyone saying that these are lower league teams, they seem to forget that we typically struggle in these cups. Think about last year. We went out to West Brom at home in the FA Cup, 1-0. So not only did we win the other night against Hull, but we were fucking dominant, and that's how it should be. And I think that that is the one thing that people are forgetting. Like, people were going, oh, well, it's a reserves Hull side. Cool, bro. This is technically our reserve side, and we pull, still put a, a fucking nickel on top of them. Like, this is, this is how it should be. When you're really looking at some of these teams where, you know— uh, yeah, on, on any given day, we should absolutely beat them because we are a Premier League side. This is lower league side. But it's not just enough to beat them. It's to do it in a dominant way that it showcases the abilities of the people that we have on the pitch. And and honestly, Tex, like you were, you're 100% right. And I know that you've, you've been a massive supporter of uh, Yarmolenko in the past. You know, you've talked about it ad nauseum and other shows that we've done. But you're right. I mean, you see a guy like that that's, you know, sets up the or scores the first goal, uh, scores on a penalty, sets up two of the other goals. Um, you know, oh no, his first no, he didn't score the first goal. He assisted on the first goal when he gave that nice little chip pass, a la just what we saw on the what was it, La Cassette uh, goal in the Arsenal game. He gives that nice little floated ball over the top and Snotty smashes it home. You look at somebody like Yarmo that Fuck his pace, dude. I don't even care if the guy can create and the guy can score goals. That's the person I want on the pitch. You know, I've been a huge supporter of Bowen. I think that he's a great player, but I don't think he has the same innate talent that Yarmo has. That's not to say that Bowen won't get there. And Bowen absolutely has the pace, which means he's great to throw on that wing. But when you look at what Yarmo was able to do, why wouldn't you have him start? Like, why wouldn't you have him on there? And not only that, but you look at the back line that we had, dude. Like, Harrison Ashby, Ajibola Alesi, 
and Ben Johnson. And then when Ashby gets fucking clottered, they had to bring in Manny Langelo, which to be fair, he was culpable on the one goal that Hull was actually able to put past us, as was Randolph letting the ball go between his legs. But we had an inexperienced, unproven back line that was still able to only allow one goal to go in. And we had a veritable tornado of a front line in that game. I'm with you, man. Like if you take some of those pieces from that back line, couple it with like Angelo Ogbonna, um, I would rather actually see Declan Rice get moved into as a center back and still play that back three. I absolutely think that this is the team we can move forward with taking that front line because that shit was impressive. It's just, Liam, it just, it infuriates me because people, look, Robert Snodgrass probably had the worst luck in West Ham history because he had, he had to come replace Dimitri Payet. Yeah. Okay. And, and let's be honest, they don't even really play the same position. They're not the same kind of player. Snodgrass is a much different player. In fact, I could argue that, that Snodgrass is a better creator than Dimitri Payet. Um, right. probably not, but I mean, he's, he's in that conversation, but you have Robert Snodgrass, Yarmolenko, Manuel Lanzini, all three of those guys are, are great players. They all play on their national team. Like they're, and they don't even get a sniff in the first team for West Ham United. And we have a guy, we have a fucking guy named Pablo Fornals who is known for me, from my perspective, as a guy who will always send the ball into the feet of the opposing team. Yeah. He always tries the crazy pass and it never works. And we play him out of position. I'm I'm just infuriated that we we buy into a guy like Pablo Fornals. And I'm not saying Fornals is not a good player, but he's a role player. Lanzini's a starter. Yeah. Lanzini's yeah. got to be out there. Snodgrass has to be out there because yes, what we what you lack from Snodgrass, you make up for on a set piece. And we are a team right now that has some dangerous pieces on a set piece with Ogbana. Obviously, we're not going to have Diop, and we'll get into that later, but and also Thomas Suchek. So when you have that much going on, you need a guy like Snodgrass to put the ball into the area because he tends to do it better than most other people. But I'm telling you, Liam, like it's, it's clear as day. You don't go score. That team has scored nine goals and conceded one. Right. Okay. That attacking force that they have is dangerous. I don't care if it's against a league one side. They've earned the right. What do we do in preseason, Liam? We play against crappier teams to boost our confidence. These guys' confidence right now is sky high. Yeah. They need to be on the pitch. We're going up against a team like Wolves that, let's be honest, we struggle in defending. We have no reinforcements. So if you can't defend that well, attack with them. Put out your best attackers and try to go goal for goal with them. And who knows? Maybe you get them. Because yeah. I would much rather watch West Ham try to win a 4-3 shootout than sit back and try to defend and lose 2-0. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that that, that is ultimately where, the, you know, that old saying, right, where the best defense is a good offense, <laughs> right? Where, you know, if you if you constantly put the, the opposing team on the back foot, where they're worried about the the goal threat, then you're not making your defense have to do as much work. So if we are keeping the ball in the attacking third, that allows us that we're we're not defending on our heels in the last five minutes against Arsenal at the Emirates. You know, I mean, thank God it's still empty stadiums, so we don't have you know. Well, let's be fair, Arsenal's not exactly the loudest of crowds out there, but still, it is that idea of like the twelfth man, right? The additional player that does play a factor into the motivation of the team themselves. Um, but yeah, I I think you're 100 percent right, man. Like this is a you look at that attacking squad, the attacking uh, force that we had in the whole game, dude. That's over a hundred million pounds of players in just the four of them between Alaire, Anderson, Yarmo, and Lanzini. Hundred over a hundred million pounds worth of player there. They absolutely should be putting five past hole. Like that's there's not a fucking question there. But you cannot tell me that that same team couldn't have gone to Arsenal and done as good, if not better, than the team that was already there. So this idea that we have two completely dis, uh, disparate squads that are not more interchangeable than they are, it, it it boggles the mind. Like, why are you spend? Why did we spend forty five million pounds on a striker that we are not going to utilize in Premier League games? 
It just, it, it does not compute. Like, fucking does not compute for me at all. And the other thing is this. There's all these rumors that David Moyes, oh, you know, I mean, we all know how brilliant he is, but he doesn't rate Lanzini. He doesn't rate Yarmolenko. He doesn't rate Allaire. He doesn't rate Robert Snodgrass. And apparently all of those players have, quote unquote, been put on the transfer list. But what I don't understand is, look, nobody's going to pay what you value these players at. And if you're telling everybody this is what they're worth, play them. Yeah. Let them get their value up. So get them out there on the pitch and play them. I'm telling you right now, I don't care what anybody says, and I understand that he can disappear, and I get it. But the best player on the whole team is Manuel Lanzini. Lanzini yeah. is an incredibly dangerous player. And I love the fact that one one guy, the one credit I will give to David Moyes is I'm really glad he played Masuaku against Arsenal, and I'm really glad he played him in a forward role. Yeah. And that yeah. was massive because Masawaku is a forward thinking player. He even said it in a tweet when he was at Olympiacos in the Greek league. He was like, We were, I was on the best team. Nobody ever, I never had to defend. I could go forward all the time because Olympiacos, unless AEK Athens is there trying to compete with them, which AEK Athens is like a roller coaster, I mean, they're going to dominate. They're as dominant in the Greek league as Bayern is in the German league. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, exactly. if you don't know. And so, and he played for that team. So you can be a crappy defender and get away with it because you're maybe going to have to defend once or twice a game. Right. And if you only jack up once every five times, then you're only letting something happen bad every once every three games. So right. it's, well, it's just this infuriating thing. And this is the, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm done with David Moyes. Okay. This is why I'm done. His substitutions in the arsenal game were horrendous. Yeah. Um, he made one substitution. I believe he bought in, brought in Yarmolenko in the 75th minute. And then the next two substitutions didn't happen till after the 80th or 85th minute. It was, I think it was the 88th, 87th or 88th minute when he brought on Alaire. And then it was the 90th minute or 91st minute. So we were already into stoppage time by the time he brought on Anderson. So it's like you aren't even giving these guys the opportunity to impact the game. And I don't know if it's just because Moyes is so worried about making a change that then falls apart, but he's so reactive with the substitutions. When he makes these subs, he goes, oh, well, now we're a goal down. So I better throw some more people on there or I better change this up. And it's like, no, man, like when you notice that somebody is struggling or when you're trying to change the shape because you're still because you've realized that Arteta has figured out your game plan. So now you need to change the shape, you need to change the tactic to be able to give your guys a leg up. And he just doesn't do that. It's like he has one idea and he just wants to stick to that idea for the entirety of the game. Like one of the things I really loved about Billich was that he was he was good with trying to make changes. Whether it worked out or didn't work out, he would fucking throw a game plan out the window at halftime if he realized it wasn't working. He's not going to continue to beat a dead horse. And I think that's why you saw West Brom do so well in the championship to get promotion. Because you have somebody that is willing to take those chances. Moyes is not that guy. He, he's not an innovator when it comes to his managerial style. He is fine with picking one tactic and just running that tactic into the ground for the entirety of the game. Sometimes it works, like we saw at the end of last season, or sometimes it doesn't, as we've seen so far for this season. And I think the biggest struggle for David Moyes, and I'm going to say something because we this is the same problem we had with Pellegrini and really the same problem we had towards the end of Billich. Uh, Billich's time and he had a, a little bit of it at the beginning even though we were dominating in the early of Billich's career but but Moyes doesn't know his best team he doesn't understand how this team operates he doesn't understand his personnel because that's the only that's the only reason that you would make those kind of substitutions it's the only reason because the really good teams the really good teams like as much as it pains me to say it, but like Chelsea when Chelsea was under Jose Mourinho we all knew Willon was coming on in the 65th minute. Yeah. He wasn't going to start, but he was going to come on. He was going to change the pace, and they were going to play through him on the right side. Everybody knew that. You know, you everybody knew that there are certain guys that comes in, and they have their plan B. Like when, you know, forgive me for saying this, but when Tottenham signed uh, their bi the big striker to back up Harry Kane, he would always come in anytime things weren't working to partner with Harry Kane. Yeah. And that that's my that is my whole point is that David Moyes doesn't understand this team. He should have a clear understanding. You should know that if you don't want to start Lanzini, he needs to be on the pitch by the 60th minute every time. 
every yeah. single time. He needs to come in, given an opportunity to impact the game. If you're down, you need to throw Hilaire up there with Antonio. I'm not arguing that Antonio is the best striker that we have. I believe that he is. And I think there's a reason he plays. But the fact that you don't start Yarmolenko, that's ridiculous. Yarmo should be the starter, and Jared Bowen should be the man coming in to relieve him because Jared Bowen is not as tricky as Yarmo. Yarmo right. can do more things. He's a better passer than Bowen is. But what does Bowen do better than Yarmo? He's fast and he runs at people. And late in the game when a defender's tired and you have fresh legs, that's where that's going to work. And so I'm just frustrated that we have this inability to understand what we have. And me, my dumbass, sitting in Fresno, California, <laughs> can clearly see this. I can yeah. clearly see it. And I'm telling you right now, and I'm going to go on a limb and tell you this, Liam, let me manage one fucking game, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the result will be better than David Moyes. Well, and think about it, too. Like, it's, we talked about being proactive, right? If you've got... Yarmo in there from the start. And as you said, and I know you brought this up in the last show, you bring Bowen in off the bench because speed kills, right? You don't need Bowen and Fredericks on the pitch from the start because you have Fredericks with the speed and the ability to overlap. So for him to be able to play off of Yarmo on that right-hand side would work. Like that actually plays really well. And then Yarmo has the ability as he cuts in, instead of having to cut to the byline and try to cross, he can get to the corner of the 18-yard box, cut into the center and put it on his preferred left foot and bend it. You know what I mean? Like that, to me... That is that is 101 tactics. Like that's recognizing the talent that you have and utilizing it to their strengths. And then you force the opposition to burn a substitution that they did not want to make, right? Like if you have Yarmo that's constantly attacking and Fredericks on the overlap and you are tiring out that left back, when you substitute Bowen for Yarmo and now you have two people with speed on that overlap, you have to substitute that left, left back because you have to put somebody else in that is going to be able to react to the substitution. Instead, Moyes is always reacting to what the other team is doing. Force their hand. Force them to make those substitutions that they did not plan on making and you remain in control of the game. And speaking of control, <laughs> that is one thing at West Ham United... <laughs> that is all up in the air. And wouldn't you know it, we're talking about all this Moyes stuff, and obviously Moyes, you know, th there's no question we need reinforcements on this team. We know this, okay? Right. We know we need we need some things in. But as fate would have it, one of our lovely owners of GSB, David <laughs> Sullivan, does an interview um, on TalkSport. And credit to the TalkSport uh, guys, they pressed him. They asked us because they, they kept telling him, you're going to have to sign guys, right? And so many excuses came out of his mouth. I think my favorite line from the interview was this. And Liam, I'm going to let you go off here because I know you have thoughts. I can oh. see you steaming. Ugh. I'm, in, I I'm itching. Steaming. I'm itching. But this is my favorite thing that he said. I can't sign a player without the manager's permission and then said, well, I have the final say on transfers. Yeah. Doesn't make sense at all. So I don't even know who the hell is in control at West Ham United because it's incredibly frustrating to hear our owner make every excuse under the book to not bring us reinforcements. So, Liam, I I'm going to back away from the mic here. <laughs> I'm going to let you take this, but I definitely have some differing thoughts from you. So... I want to know what you think. Okay. So first off, the the idea that he decided to blame Manuel Pellegrini and Husilios for bringing in players that he quote unquote did not improve the club. Let's rewind that real quick. Do you remember who Manuel Pellegrini brought in? Who Husilios brought in? Yeah, they brought in Sanchez. Failure, right? They brought in Roberto. Failure. They also brought in Felipe Anderson, Sebastian Allaire, and our good boy Andre Yarmolenko. So yes, they did actually bring in people that improved the club. It's just they have not been given the opportunity, as we just talked about <laughs> at length, to make that impact. And yes, I understand that Anderson had a better season the season prior than he did in or the 2018-2019 versus the 2019-2020 season. Like, I get that. He had a much better season that first go-around than he did second. But didn't we also have a lot of turmoil in this club? Didn't we have a manager that, sh that we ousted because we weren't able to continue to back him? So there are already inconsistencies with the with the stories. And even at that point too, Sullivan, who 
who brought in Manuel Pellegrini? It was fucking you, wasn't it? That's right. So you can't sit there and blame a manager that you handpicked. Because if I, if I remember correctly, David Gold wanted to stay with Moyes. He didn't want to, to let Moyes go. It was Sullivan that wanted to bring in the big name. And now he wants to he wants to play, you know, revisionist history and say like, oh, well, I only did that because that's what the fans wanted. So it's your fault Manuel Pellegrini didn't work out, not mine. No, dumbass. We wanted a young, hungry manager that was making a name for himself, not an old, tired uh, you know, dinosaur that you decided to pluck from the Chinese league. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I was excited. When they brought in Manuel Pellegrini, I was like, cool, they actually brought in somebody that had a name. It's not David Moyes. It's not Sam Allardyce. Yeah, we brought in somebody with some some gravitas, some credentials behind him. But it's not, but it's still not exactly what we were looking for. Now, he also claims he brought in Diop and Fabianski. Cool. I, 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 will, I will give him the shout for those. But then doesn't that also work counterintuitive to what he was saying is like, oh, the, I let the manager have the approval. But that's not true because you just said you signed these players. You're the one that brought these players in. So even then, we're still catching him in half-truths, right? That he doesn't interfere with the manager's appointments. But this is this is the appointments are people that are sitting on the reserve team that were watching them beat Hull. And he claims after that, like, oh, well, they did so well, they would get first-team minutes at any other Premier Club. Motherfucker, they're not getting Premier League minutes at the fucking club they play for. So you can't tell me they're going to go into Everton's first squad or going to go into Chelsea's first squad. They're not going into our fucking first squad because you have a manager that still doesn't know how to utilize the talent that he has. He claims that he backs the manager's decision, but then the manager wants players that he's not willing to pay for, and the players he does want to bring in, that he does want to pay for, are not the ones that the manager wants to bring in. So yet again, he is still working against the manager. He is not trying to side with Moyes, because if he was, he would open the pocketbook and fucking spend that Grady D and Ghana money that was apparently so important for them to be able to operate in the transfer window, but then still not get anything done. And I gotta, I, I respect what you said, but I'm going to say, fuck you, I disagree. I don't think that Jim White fucking egged him on at all, dude. He was saying he needs to sign players to appease the fans. He doesn't say you need to sign players to improve the fucking squad. He doesn't go, hey, man, you just lost 2-0 to Newcastle, and then you fucking turned around and lost 2-1 to Arsenal. There's obviously positions of need that we have. We have eight wingers. Okay, cool. Then why did you allow the manager to sign eight wingers? Or why did you fucking sign eight wingers? Instead of reinforcing in the defense that we know we fucking needed after letting in a shit ton of goals last season. So why are we so shorthanded for pure strikers? You let Chicharito go. We let uh, Arnautovic go. We let uh, Angeti go, and he goes up to fucking uh, Celtic and starts scoring goals. We, we constantly get rid of players that end up doing better when they go someplace else. To me, that's indicative of the club. It's indicative of the manager, the managers. It's indicative of the, uh, uh, of, of the board itself. And my parting thought here is fuck Sam Allardyce, man, because last year he goes on talk sport and lambasts the board saying that they had their fingers in the pie the whole season and he would turn up and there would just be a player that just fucking got signed that Sullivan just signs. And all of a sudden, uh, Allardyce has to try to figure out how he's going to incorporate them into the squad. But then he goes on basically looking for his job back, being like, oh, you know, Sullivan and Gold, they're real passionate. They love the club. You know, they they would only do what's in the best interest of the club. Motherfucker, you couldn't flip-flop faster to try to get a job at West Ham knowing that Moyes is probably looking at the, bar the end of a double-barrel shotgun by the time we get into the January transfer window. So, you know what? Fuck all the lot of them. First off, I, I want to tell you that I understand that you're upset with me, but I, I definitely thought the talk sports guy <laughs> held his feet to the fire. But I'm, I'm going to sum this interview up for you very simply. The path to hell is paved with the best of intentions. Oh, and yeah. that, is, that is exactly what David Sullivan has done. David Sullivan is our biggest handicap to me in GSB because mm -hmm. I don't give a lot of credit to Brady. I don't think she has as much power as people think that she does. And if she does, I'll eat that. I'll admit that I'm wrong. I have no problem, but I don't think that he does. I think... Um, I, I called her a he, I apologize. Um, I don't think that she does, but it, it, it's very clear to me that David Sullivan is, is the person that's pulling the strings behind. And this is where I'm upset with him. This is, this is where my biggest bone to pick is 
don't blame the supporters. The one thing you never do in the position you are is don't ever blame the pursuit. The supporters don't say lines like, well, the, the supporters wanted me to hire um, a director of football. No, the reason we want a director of football is because we didn't think it could get worse from what you were already doing. And we thought that somebody that was competent um, could maybe do something. And I think I agree with you. I think Husillos for the most part did a decent job. Um, I don't think he did a phenomenal job, but I think he did a decent job. And when you say, when you come out and you say, if I'm a, this is the most troubling thing. And this is why I think we haven't seen the end of this interview. Cause I think it's going to, it's like a time bomb that's going to happen. When you drop a line and say, um, well, they brought in players that didn't improve the club. If I'm one of those players, fuck you. Yeah. Sell me. I'm not playing for your ass no more. And the frustrating thing is if you think it's bad right now, player like, Every player has an ego. And if you start pissing off that ego and you start attacking it and you say little comments like that and you chip away at it, they're going to look at you and say, I would rather go play for Birmingham city than your ass. And they're going to want to bounce. And I'm telling you right now, if I'm Yarmolenko and I would have heard that if I am Philippe Anderson and I would have heard that I'm on the phone with my agent the next in the next minute. Because I'm saying, do whatever you got to do to get me out of here. I'll drop my wages. I'll do whatever it takes because I'm not going to play for somebody that doesn't value me. That's the whole, look, we're caught up in this game where value is everything in soccer. What was your transfer fee? What are they paying you a week? We want to know these things because that tells us who the best players are. Yeah. Okay? So anytime a player gets sold for $55 it's a little ego boost. For that you get sold for 75 million that ego boost goes up and so you want to keep that going but the truth is liam like sullivan buried himself there yeah he buried himself there's no way of getting out of that now i i'm not gonna sit here and i i think there's parts of it that he's being truthful in. i really do but i think there's other parts of it where i mean the best way i can describe it to you is there are there are two types of of people that kind of fall into two different categories. There's, there's selfish people and selfless. Okay, a selfless pe- person always puts himself second to pretty much everybody. Um, a good father, a good mother, you know, a teacher, things like that. Um, a selfish person. It doesn't mean that selfish people are bad, Liam. But a selfish person can convince themselves at any point that they're doing the right thing. Yep. And the truth is this. David Sullivan talks himself out of every transfer because he looks at that bottom line and then he tells us that he has a different valuation of the player. The fact of the matter is, Liam, every player you're going to overpay for in this in this game. Yeah. You know, I saw a meme one time of a couple of gangsters counting their money and above the above the in the little uh, script box, it said, one day I'm going to get into soccer and make some real money. (laughs) <laughs> like that that's the that's the point. You're going to overpay for everybody. So your valuations of players can fuck off. Like yeah. they don't that, that doesn't matter. The point is this, if you need the player, you got to do whatever it takes to get them. And we've lost sight of that. Look at a team like Chelsea and Roman Abramovich who he quoted, "Yeah, we understand you're not Roman Abramovich because Abramovich would break his own bank to sign a player so Chelsea can be successful." Yeah. And and just like GSB and David Sullivan and David Gold, just like him, Roman Abranovich grew up a Chelsea supporter, loved the club. That's why he's there. Yeah. So don't give me this bullshit. We understand you don't have that money, but I do know that you don't make money like you've made David Sullivan unless you know how to pull a few strings and make some shit happen. So, yeah. dude, you make dildos, bro. You're a shady character. Get the player. Do what you got to do. Yeah. No, and it and it's a good shout. You you brought up a really interesting point, right? Because he he tried to compare himself to like Man City, right? And he even mentions like, oh, we don't have the oil money. You're right, motherfucker. We don't expect you to spend money like Man City spends money, but we sure as fuck don't expect Newcastle, <laughs> right? Where where the 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 supporters for Newcastle constantly complain about Mike Ashley, right? They complain that you know uh, he won't open the pocketbook, he won't bring in players, but then they brought in a bunch of players. 
going into the season because they signed positions that they knew they needed. Because ultimately, he even though he's tight-fisted, he still understands they need to do what it takes to stay in the Premier League because they can't take another drop into the championship. And I don't think that our ownership group fully understands that because we have escaped relegation by the skin of our teeth at least, what, seven out of the last 10 seasons? Like Definitely since we the came last up? three seasons. The last three seasons for sure. Yeah. So it's 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 infuriating to me that he's going to sit there and try to compare himself to the oil sheiks and be like, oh, well, I don't have that kind of money. We know this, dude, but you have the kind of money that most of these other clubs do, if not more. We are the 18th richest club, not in England, in the fucking world. So you cannot tell me that you do not have enough money to be able to invest in the positions that we need. All that tells me is that you don't want to spend that kind of money because you don't want to lose control to your manager where he even says, it's not that we have a coach, we have a manager. If it was a coach, he'd be fine with making the decisions instead of allowing the coach to make those decisions. But you have a manager in David Moyes. If he wants the player, your job is to open up the purse (laughs) purse strings and make it fucking happen. Liam, for the first time in a couple of weeks, we're on the same page and it it makes me, it makes me happy. You got mad at me earlier, but now I feel like we're coming back together. If we were in the same room, I would, I would give you a COVID hug. I would give you a COVID hug. That's okay. Hey man, marriages, they, they go through peaks and valleys, right? This is, this is just part of a, a, you know, a, a, a healthy, you know, prospering relationship. If you haven't figured it out to our listeners out there, this is just West Ham therapy. This is all it is. It's West Ham therapy. Um, so the, the interesting thing is, obviously, after hearing that interview, you can't be too optimistic about West Ham United bringing in anybody to help the club. Um, although he did say, maybe I'll bring in one or two players at the end. Well, you've been doing that shit for multiple years. We need to get the yeah. players in ASAP, get the business done. Um, that's one thing I admire about the big six is when they need a guy, they pretty are most of the time quiet on deadline day. Very rarely do those clubs make a big splash on deadline day. I'm not saying they they don't. But there's always one that does. But for the most part, they get their business done early in the transfer window to get a player in so that they can start working them into the squad ASAP to get better. So based on that interview, I can't be too confident here. But, you know, give us the transfer update, Liam. Let us know um, what names we've never heard before that will never actually materialize and wear a West Ham shirt. Well, unfortunately, the the rumorville that we've gotten right now is basically Danny Rose. Like there was a a, a center back from Etienne over in the uh, the Liga Un over in the French league, where they're looking. They they made an offer that was basically a take it or leave it. So by the time this this uh, podcast airs, that decision will already been made whether or not they decided to to pull the trigger and allow that player to 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 move over to to West Ham. Hold on, but, just an update from the future. We did not get him. Just want to let everybody know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we we just already know these things because you know we have we have our ins, right? We we just we we know things. We know a thing or two. But I, I think that's that's ultimately the problem, man. Like the other ones is like we've been offered Danny Rose uh, from Tottenham because obviously you know they they don't um, they don't rate him over there. And as much as maybe Danny Rose was good a couple of seasons ago, he is locker room poison. And we've already talked about that. There seems to be a bit of a disconnect with the squad that we have. We do not need a player like Danny Rose muddying up that locker room any more than it potentially already is. Like I would rather skip out on a player that could potentially improve the squad from, uh, from, from a logistics standpoint, if it means that it's going to ruin the performance of guys that hopefully are on the come up, like, like we talked about before with that, front four in the whole city game, I, I expect those guys to be on cloud nine and I absolutely expect them a a good majority of them to feature, uh, in this wolves game. So, uh, as of right now, unfortunately, like the transfer rumors are just that it's, it's more rumors. Uh, the, the, it looks like with Tarkowski that that one didn't make a move, but now it seems that Burnley is trying to move him out. It just doesn't look like he wanted to go to West Ham. So he may still leave Burnley, but it won't be to wear claret and blue, uh, at least for coming out of London. Well, uh, can you blame him? I mean, I mean, <laughs> what, I, who knows what, what he's hearing about West Ham United? You know, players talk, and I'm sure, you know, all these guys kind of know each other. They know somebody somewhere, and I'm sure that he sent a few text messages and probably got a few replies that made him go, I ain't going fucking there. So. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you don't put in for a player unless you know that um, 
there's a possibility that the player once out of the club is looking to move him. So clearly that player will most likely be moved. But like you said, it's not going to be here. He's probably the only player of note. And I still don't think he's a player that is of higher quality than Diop and Ogbana, but he definitely would be there to push them to stay on top of their game. Cause right now there's really no one to push our two center backs, which means they have a bad game. We can't put on another guy that sometimes that fear of losing your starting position helps out. Um, I have no optimism whatsoever, Liam, about the transfer window. Um, I think that we'll bring in a couple of guys that I've never heard of before that will most likely never feature for the first team, like a Jordan Hugel or an Argetti. Um, I just don't understand um, what our transfer policy is. I don't think we have an idea. I think our talent evaluation is absolute dog shit. And so therefore I don't trust any name that comes across, you know, um, that's a big proponent of where, of where my problem is. We probably should be looking for more loan deals than we should be looking for actual transfers because I feel like we should be a team that, you know, we're going to try it on and, you know, sleep on it for 30 nights and then we can return it if we don't like it. (laughs) That's, that should become our transfer policy because we're so poor at our Italian evaluation. Well, and it's and it's it's tough, right? Because I, I looked up the name for this kid. It's Wesley Fofana from uh, Saint Etienne. He's 19 years old. He's a central defender. But the the it was like a 30 million dollar bid, but and which was apparently more than what Leicester had put in because they were also in the mix on this one. But they're asking for us to, or we're asking for them to be able to take the money over the next six years. <laughs> So it's not like we're going to pay all the money right now. And to be fair, like Man City, Man United, Liverpool, like they've done deals like this, right? Where they they spread the money out, they'll make payments over, you know, two, three seasons. But the fact that we're still asking for like six seasons to sign a $30 million or 30, sorry, 30 million pound uh, center back, like that's just laughable. It's why we're the laughing stock of the transfer market. And what's even funnier is you said that other bigger clubs have done this. So obviously we try, but the other bigger clubs have credibility, which we do not. <laughs> we do so not. We do not. I guarantee that is, you. That is the slogan of GSB is we tried. That That is their go-to slogan. <laughs> hey, we tried. Not that hard, but <laughs> no, we did put in we, an effort that you can recognize. Oh my God. It's just, it's painful. Well, that brings us to um, the uh, end part of the show here where we're going to go ahead and give you uh we're going to preview the match. Uh, a couple, uh, Some new notes going in. Obviously, if you haven't heard, by this point, you everybody knows. There has been a COVID-19 outbreak of, amongst the West Ham squad. Uh, Josh Cullen, Issa Diop, and our phenomenally brilliant manager who probably makes the smartest decisions um, I've ever seen in my entire life. Every breath that I can muster, I'm just in awe of this man. <laughs> David Moyes is also a... Um, contracted uh, COVID-19. We we obviously hope for a fast and speedy recovery and hope that those guys stay safe um, and hopefully that, you know, they're asymptomatic more than anything. Right. Um, but what really it comes down to is we're going to be without those three guys. Um, Issa Diop is the only player of note, so obviously we're not going to have him. Um, and that brings us into the match against Wolves. So before we even get into that match, what is the lineup that you would like to see going into this match? So for me, uh, with with Diop being out, uh, as as much as I thought the general Balbuena actually did pretty well in the in the whole game. You know, I thought he seemed vocal. He seemed like he was trying to help out the young kids. Uh, you know, maintain that back line. I still, I don't know, man. There's something about Balbuena. Like he's always good for like one really big mistake that almost always leads to a goal. So for me, if if I'm if I'm sorting it out, I'm gonna go with a similar lineup to what he we had against uh, Arsenal, uh, running you know the three four three or really with Moyes it ends up being like a three six one but whatever. Um, so I'm gonna put Ogbana, Rice, and then Ben Johnson as the center backs. So you've got Ogbana on the right hand side, Johnson on the on the left, and Rice commanding it from the center. Uh, I'm still gonna utilize Fredericks and Masuaku as. Uh, uh, wing backs, so that way, if we need to kind of drop to a back five, especially with Wolves on the attack, you know, uh, uh, to to isolate Jimenez, then I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm going to put Suchek as a lone instead of the double pivot. I'm going to put Suchek alone in the middle uh, uh, of that midfield, and I'm going to have Anderson beside him, but a little bit further up. Because then at that point, you've got Anderson as kind of that playmaker number 10 role. And you can utilize Masuaku and Fredericks to really pin back 
uh, their wingbacks as well because we know Wolves likes to really muddy up that midfield. So I think having a double pivot with, like, say you put somebody else, maybe one of the other young cats or maybe Balbuena in that back line, and you put Rice into the midfield as, as well, I don't think that allows us enough of attacking threat that I think we desperately need to be able to keep... Um, uh, Wolves pinned in their own end. Uh, and then my front three is going to be Yarmo on the right-hand side, Alaire up top in the middle, and then Antonio on the left. Because that way you've got Anderson behind the three of them, then he can play the ball up. You've also got Masawaku and Ogbana, or sorry, Masawaku and Fredericks with the speed that if they need to drop back and be able to help protect the back line, they can do it. But for the most part, they should be alternating overlaps to be able to give us that attacking edge that we desperately need in this game. How about for you, Tex? Um, everything that you said, I, I pretty much agree with, um, as from the, from the back three, I like that, uh, pairing. That's exactly what I had down. I also had the same wing backs that you did, except I have, uh, two, um, I have Noble in there is the linchpin, the guy sitting in front of the back three. The reason I want Noble in there is because I, he's Mr. West Ham. He'll grab the game by the scruff of the neck and he'll put in a shift. And then I have, that gives a free role for Thomas Suchek to kind of go box to box, which I think is what he does best. Sure. Um, outside of that up top, um, alone striker is absolutely going to be Mikel Antonio. Um, Allaire definitely needs to come into this game, but he doesn't start. I think without question. And it's, re- it's ridiculous. If this doesn't happen, Yarmo has to start on the right. I have Lanzini through the middle and Philippe Anderson on the left. I love the way they're playing together right now. I want those guys on the pitch. Um, I know Sebastian Hilaire has definitely benefited from those guys in those cup games, but I, Antonio's just, he's just better. Like there's no other way that I can say it other than I think his holdup plays better. I think he's more aggressive. Uh, I think Hilaire is clearly a better finisher, but I would rather deal with the poor finishing from time to time from Antonio than not getting that aggressiveness and physicality um, and losing that. I think we need that up front. And I think if you have Lanzini, because the last last time Lanzini had a bull in front of him, um, last time uh, Arnautovic was in front of him. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't remember his damn name. Um, when Arnautovic was in front of Lanzini, him and Lanzini developed this beautiful partnership, but because Arnautovic was so aggressive, yeah, that allowed free space for Lanzini and we got to see the Lanzini that we know. And that's why I think you stick Lanzini behind in that number 10 role and you let him pull strings. And then that takes pressure off Philippe Anderson, which when he plays without pressure, he plays loose. And then Yarmolenko is going to make stuff happen. He's always going to do it. And then I think this is the key thing for my lineup, though. Sebastian Hellaire comes in at some point for Philippe Anderson. And then I believe that you bring on Jared Bowen. Absolutely. You bring him on for Yarmolenko. And then I don't know who the third sub is. I, I really don't. But those are the two that I would like to see. Maybe Robert Snodgrass comes in for Mark Noble. And then you set back Thomas Suchek as that linchpin, like you were saying. And you then you have another attacking guy and a guy that can do things on a set piece. But I think Snodgrass is my third sub now that I'm thinking about it. I would love to see that happen. I think those guys have been playing too well. And I think they need to be out there. So I would, I actually echo a lot of what you would say with substitutions. I bring on Bowen for Yarmolenko probably about the 65th minute, right? So like it still gives Bowen enough time to really pin back and really kill them with speed. I would bring Lanzini on um, probably for Antonio, to be honest with you. I bring Lanzini on for Antonio because that way you have Anderson and Lanzini on at the same time. So that way you can really um, continue on that partnership between the two of them. Uh and then probably my third sub, it depends. So I go with Noble if we're tied or we're, or we're uh, ahead. I bring on Noble because he's going to absolutely be mustered in that midfield and he'll help close out the game. If we are looking to go for the go-ahead goal or if we are behind and we're looking for the equalizer, I bring on Snodgrass because that way he can just lump in um, you know, uh, set pieces or crosses over onto the head of uh, Alaire and just try to get that equalizer or hopefully get that go-ahead goal. So it kind of depends on what sort of a situation we're in. But yeah, my my substitutions would actually probably be fairly similar to what you're looking at. I just would, I'd bring Lanzini off the bench because I think he's another one that he can get tired pretty quick. So I'd almost prefer him to not have to put in as much of a shift and probably bring him in around the same time that we bring in Bowen to try to change the shape, change the complexity and change the speed going forward. 
I, I mean, clearly we all know that I'm right, but that's, I mean, it's nice <laughs> that you, you have put in a, I, I think that you really thought long and hard about it, but you'll, you'll get on my level at some point. Okay. At some point you'll be there. <laughs> no shit. Honestly, Liam, I, I think we both have really strong teams there. It's just, it's comical that we know it's not going to happen, but maybe like, and, and maybe there's a blessing in disguise. Maybe David Moyes having COVID-19 and maybe somebody can step up like a Nolan and maybe he's going to be the the caretake manager for this game. And maybe we get a chance to let's see what he can do with the squad. I mean, I, look, I, Moyes, I don't want anything bad to happen to you because of COVID-19, but the truth is, man, I'm done with you. I just need yeah. you to know that. I, I have nothing negative to say. Like, I, I hope you live a long and prosperous life. I'm just sick of you managing my my club. I really well, am. Think about with the whole city game, man. Like, Alan, Alan uh, Irvine and uh, Kevin Nolan, I thought they did a fantastic job. You know, I think that when you look at what they were able to do with that team, you know, on, you know, obviously Moyes still picked the team, but they still had to do the management the day of. The only problem is uh, rumors are that David Moyes will still manage through a Zoom call. <laughs> so he will still be monitoring the game and still will be calling the shots. So as much as uh, I'm with you on that one, uh, that I, I would have loved to have seen what the, the other coaches would be able to do. It, it just doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Well, maybe somebody will pull the power plug on accident. But <laughs> the Wi-Fi goes down. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us uh, that brings us to the match prediction. Uh, so obviously we know what we'd like to see out there. So tell me, what's the final score? Who are your goal scorers and who's your man of the match? Uh, I'm going to go It's a 2-2. Uh, I think that Jimenez absolutely puts one past us. I think the other one we probably lose on a set piece just because we're going to have a, a back line that's not used to working together quite as much as, as we would want. But uh, I think otherwise... Uh, I, I would actually love to see Yarmo get a goal on this one. And then as much as I typically go with Antonio for the other one, uh, I think if Snodgrass comes on, he's probably the other magic man uh, that somehow battles Bulldogs his way, uh, pushing the ball past the keeper. So uh, I'm going to say finishes out 2-2, and I think uh, um, Snoddy puts in the shift, and I think he gets the nod for man of the match. I, I absolutely love that. Um, I am going to go ahead and tell you that I believe the final score will be 1-1. We both go for a draw. I think the lone goal does come from uh, Yarmolenko. Um, I don't really care who it comes from from Wolves. I just know they'll get one. Um, <laughs> man of the match for me is, without question, if my starting lineup holds, it will be Manuel Lanzini. Nice. Um, I think I think Lanzini will be man of the match if my, obviously, if my lineup goes um, so that's, that's my prediction. Um, but really the truth is if we, 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 we need to get a point. So I would like to see us find a way. It's a good team coming to our house. We should find a way to hold them to a draw. Um, I don't think we're good enough to beat them. I think they've done a lot and they will ultimately, um, get something out of the game. I just hope it's only a point. Yeah. So that brings us to everybody's favorite part of the show. It's time for our yellow and red cards. Hit me with your yellow card, Liam. Um, so for mine, it's going to be talk sport, uh, just because I think they are fueling the fire for for West Ham fans, and I don't think they're doing it in the right way. I think they're trying to be contentious. I think the fact that they brought on David Sullivan uh, for for this uh, for this this most recent interview, I think is just Jim White trying to prove a point. I think it's Jim White's ego more than what's his name Lee uh, Claypool or whatever the the guy that's the, the the main runner for Talksport because he is a West Ham season ticket holder. So I think that it, it's almost an agenda that Talk Talksport is trying to push, and they know that this is what's getting them clicks, right? This is what's getting them views and listens because they know that we're a very passionate fan base, and I think. They're kind of taking us for a ride. Um, so as much as I would love to just not even talk about talk sport anymore, it's hard not to have a bitter taste on my tongue when these guys are basically taking the club that I love and trying to turn it into a way for them to make profit. So fuck talk sport. <laughs> yeah, my, my yellow card clearly is going to go to all West Ham fans and anybody that said um, that bought into the moral victory aspect of that game against <laughs> Arsenal. Um you, you gotta you gotta raise your expectations you really do uh guys because the the fact of the matter is we've been saying it for too long um we're in a position where moral victory shouldn't be good enough anymore they should yeah. not um we have to find ways to win games and get points and when you play that well against the top six side you need to get something out of it and we can't fall asleep in those moments and our manager needs to understand how to 
um, substitute at correct times instead of bringing guys on that only have two or three minutes to impact a game, which makes no absolute sense. This whole situation right now at West Ham United, we need to understand, we need to expect better, we need to be better. Um, we need to make West Ham great again, just to be 100% honest. In no way, shape, or form <laughs> is that an endorsement for Donald Trump, and I don't want anybody to think so. But the truth is, it's a beautiful saying, and it absolutely needs to happen. West Ham need to be great again. Yeah. Um, we have it in our blood. We've had phenomenal players in our past. We need to start seeing it again. All right, so tell me right now, who is your red card for? So my red card goes to Mr. David Sullivan himself. Big surprise, right? I'm sure everybody was going to call that one from me this time. But it's not for what you think. I actually, uh, the red card goes to David Sullivan because I think he had a, uh, an opportunity to try to assuage some of the anguish that fans have. That he could have gone on there and he could have apologized and said like, hey, I know we've made mistakes over the last 10 years. I know there's been some opportunities. I just want you guys to know that we are still passionate about West Ham United. We're, we, we may not be able to do everything that we want to do, to get the club to where we need them to be, but just know that we are trying to make steps, take steps to get there. And just be patient with us. I know it's been 10 years, and I know you guys have voiced concerns, but we want you to know that we've heard these concerns, and we will continue to try to move forward, and we need your support. If they had come out and apologized and recognized the, the opportunities that they had, the failures that they've had over the last decade, the opportunities that they should have taken to move this club forward, I think that that Although some people would still find that to be disingenuous, I think that that would have been a better spout for him instead of going out there and trying to blame the fans, blame previous managers, directors of football that were not technically a director of football. Uh, I think instead he really just dug, instead of having one foot in the hole, now he's in there all the way up to his neck. I think he's absolutely burying himself with this shit. Can't disagree with much of what you said. My red card goes to my absolute favorite member of West Ham United, and that is David Moyes. David <laughs> Moyes, you have received my red card yet again, and yet you still show up. I don't understand why you don't respect my authority, but maybe at some point you will listen to the American Hammers radio and understand that I know a little bit more than you do. And I, I don't care. <laughs> like, it, it's ridiculous. But this is why you get my red card, David Moyes. Your substitutions were ignorant. I did. They didn't make any sense. You didn't bring anybody in with any opportunity to really impact the game other than Yarmolenko, and Yarmolenko needs a little bit more time. He was able to make one key pass, set up one opportunity, and that was it. Everybody knows that if you don't bring in guys before, in between that 60 and 70th minute, it's really hard for them to get in, get something going in the game. It's just really tough. So the point that I'm going to say is this. You don't understand your substitutions. You have never once understood what your best 11 is here at West Ham United. And I'm, I'm sick of making excuses for you, even though I never have. I've never made an excuse for you, and I'm sick of making them for you. That should tell you right there how I feel about you. Because you should have never been our manager. We should have gone in a different direction. We should have gone with a young guy like, I don't know, Eddie Howe, a guy who's done more with less than you've ever done. Um... So it's frustrating. It's just really, really frustrating that we have to deal with this week in, week out, a manager who doesn't understand his best 11. Same problem we have with Pellegrini and same problem we have at the end of Billich's range. I want somebody to come in that can identify who we are and how we play best and just roll with it. And I know that you shit on him earlier, but Sam Allardyce was the last guy that I knew that did that. So my red card, again, goes to you, David Moyes. Until you figure it out and stop looking, you look like a draw. When you walk around, you even look like a draw. Okay? That's <laughs> the physical that's embodiment. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> that That's my problem. Well, nonetheless, we want to say thank you so much for listening. We really... We really absolutely love the fact we'd love uh, more people to get involved in the show. We'd love for you to tell us how bad we suck. Um, it would just kind of be an absolute fun uh, thing for you guys to let us know what we need to do to make this better, what we need to do to get you a part of it. Um, real quick little PSA here. Obviously, um, something very near and dear to the Fresno Irons hearts. If you are struggling at all and having thoughts of doing the unthinkable, like possibly taking your own life, please feel free to call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline here in the United States of America, 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is one 800 273 Five, five. We want you to know that if you listen to this podcast right now, we are here for you. If you are in the lovely city of Fresno, we are here for you. Just reach out. There is always somebody ready to listen and talk to you. So nonetheless, we want to say thank you for listening. Thank you to Tim and Lee for providing us this opportunity to share our thoughts with you. We know that we're not the most 
uh, fun to listen to, but we know we are the best to listen to. So just understand <laughs> that. Uh, Liam, you have something quick? All right, real quick. Uh, Carabao Cup next round is against Everton. This will be Wednesday, September 30th, 11.45 a.m. here on the Pacific Coast. If you are on the Eastern Seaboard, it is at 2.45 p.m. If you are in Europe, it is at 7.45 p.m. Uh, and then also uh, just make sure that if you are not comfortable reaching out uh, by phone, you can also hit us up on Twitter uh, at A-H-R-W-H-U. So that is American Hammers Radio, West Ham United, or on Instagram, just at American Hammers Radio. Also, you can hit the Fresno Irons at, at Fresno Irons on all social media. Um, obviously, there's a big match this Sunday. We play on the 27th against Wolves. That game kicks off at 11 a.m. West Coast time. So please adjust your calendars accordingly. And if you find yourself in the lovely city of Fresno, reach out to the Fresno Irons. We're having another house party. Would love to have you join us. Thank you for listening. And as always, come, come on, on, you Irons. irons.